to take your Bibles now and turn to 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> Before we hear from the Lord, let's go to Him once more in prayer and ask His blessing upon uh, the hearing and the preaching of His Word. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, our Heavenly Father, we come again and we uh, acknowledge again before you what a privilege we have of being in your presence. Uh, We pray, dear Lord, give us ears now to hear and eyes to see and open hearts to receive from you. We do pray, dear Lord, that you would arrest our attentions, remove all of those distractions that swirl around in our minds. And help us to hear now and to receive from you. Help us to bend our lives and our wills towards you. We do pray now that the instrument of your word, the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. And we ask this all in the mighty name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, as we continue this morning, I'll be reading the, the chapter in its entirety. Though I will not get uh, through the chapter in the message. Uh, But please give your attention now to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no rights to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? 
that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that I, by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So for the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. <clears throat> well, we come this morning to chapter 9. And though we've had a week off, um, I trust that you can remember back in chapter 8. And we come to chapter 9 and it can seem as though Paul has compulsively switched gears or he's jumped to a different topic. Right? Recall he had been talking about the issue of eating meat that had been offered to idols and causing a brother to sin. And then here he brings up things like soldiers and oxen and flocks and fruit. But chapters 8 and 9 are indeed connected. In chapter 9, Paul illustrates the principle set forth in chapter 8, right? So chapter 8 sets forth this principle and then he illustrates it in chapter 9. And this, of course, was the principle, you'll remember, of forfeiting your rights for the sake of a weaker brother. In chapter 8, Paul discusses uh, the church, to the church of Corinth that it was divided, you recall, into two groups regarding food that had been sacrificed or dedicated to idols. Uh, on one, uh, one side, there was a group that, uh, that said that because there was only one true God, an idol is nothing. It has no real existence in the universe. So food dedicated to an idol is just food and nothing more. And therefore it is not defiled. And therefore it is just food and the Christian is free to eat of it. And then the other group on the other side argued that eating food sacrificed to idols, eating meat that had been dedicated to idols itself was an act of idolatry. It was always an act of idolatry. And so they said that a Christian should never eat, should never ever eat food that had been sacrificed to an idol. And this was a point, a point of contention, a point that the church was divided over. Should they eat food or should they not? And there was a division. And they wanted the Apostle Paul to weigh in on this. They wanted him to settle this dispute. They wanted him to take a side. And so what did they do? They wrote him a letter. And they asked him which side he took. And Paul, at first, you'll recall in chapter 8, he seemed to side with that first group. That side that said, idle meat is okay. 
And he corroborated with them. And he said, yes, it's true. There is no God but one. And there are no realities behind the idols that the meat had been dedicated to. And therefore, the meat was not defiled. But he says that though their teaching is correct, they're ultimately in error. They're ultimately wrong. Do you recall? They were wrong because they were using their knowledge, they were using their knowledge to destroy their brothers or sisters for whom Christ died, causing them to sin. And so regarding Christian liberty, they were right. But regarding Christian charity, they were wrong. They were exercising their freedom to eat meat that had been offered to idols in a manner that was contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this was the the case because they were causing their weaker brothers, their weaker sisters in the Lord to stumble into sin, to stumble into idolatry. And so what did Paul call them to do, do you recall? Paul called them to give up their rights. He called them to relinquish their rights, their liberty, their preference, that to which they were entitled to, all for the sake of the weaker brother in Christ. And this is the principle that he articulates in chapter 8. Uh, they are to be rights relinquishers in order to avoid placing a stumbling block in the path of their weaker brother. This is what Paul had set out for them in the last chapter, chapter 8. And then here in chapter 9, Paul illustrates this principle from his own life. We see Paul practicing what he preached, right? We see Paul practicing what he preached, or rather we see him preaching what he has always practiced. We see that in reality, Paul is doing much more, far more than what he is telling the Corinthians that they should be doing. This is because Paul not only relinquishes his rights as a Christian, as a believer, but he's relinquishing, he's forfeiting, he's giving up his rights as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And why does he do this? Why does Paul relinquish his rights? What is the reason Paul demonstrates and tells them to relinquish their rights? Again, it's for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is something that we see Paul practice in his ministry throughout his ministry. Paul does not insist upon his rights as an apostle. Does Paul have a pedigree? Absolutely he does. He does not insist on his rights as an apostle uh, and the reason is so that the gospel would have its optimal effect, that it would have its op- optimal success. And so we look at chapter 9, and it's not a short chapter, but we see therein Paul illustrating this principle that he's laid out in chapter 8. And the idea, you see, goes from uh, the greater to the lesser. And the idea, the principle is this. It's that just as Paul relinquished his rights to gain his living from the gospel... For the sake of the gospel, so too the Christians should relinquish their rights to eat meat that have been sacrificed to idols. Why? So they might not destroy their weaker brother or sister for whom Christ died. And so Paul starts by asserting his freedom. In verse 1, he says, that's the first question we see in the series of questions. Am I not free? Right. What is he speaking about? He's speaking of his freedom to exercise his rights, particularly his rights as an apostle. But the point is that though he is free, neither uh, he nor any other believer is free to assert their rights to the detriment of other believers. Right? That's the point. They're not free to assert their rights to the detriment of other believers. <clears throat> and so we think of this idea of freedom, 
uh, and being free. And freedom is something that is very dear uh, in our society. Even though it has been successfully eroded and corrupted, uh, freedom is still very dear for many of us. It's a very important thing, especially us as Americans. Right? As Americans, this is a foundational thing. It's foundational to who we are as a people and as a nation. You know, the anim- enemies to this freedom have done much to erode this idea and this uh, thing that we hold dear. Uh, we still take our freedom seriously, and we should, and we should thank God for that freedom that we have. But we have to realize, brothers and sisters, we must realize that this carries with it certain liabilities. Particularly, we need to take very care that we do not allow our patriotic ideas, as it were, to dictate our conduct within the church. As Christians, our liberty must always be exercised in context of what? In context of Christian charity. Our liberty should always be conducted in the context of Christian charity. Our liberty is never to be devoid or removed from that charity, from the love that we are to show. And why is that? It's because if we're not willing to relinquish our rights for the sake of our brothers, then we are not living according to the gospel. If we're not, really, uh, if we're not willing to do this, in actuality, what are we doing? We're living in betrayal of the gospel. Again, look at verse 1 of chapter 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? Paul was free. Paul was an apostle. Paul had seen the resurrected Lord Jesus. And the Corinthians were his workmanship. They were the very seal of his apostleship in the Lord. That's what he refers to in in verse 2. They were the seal. They were the evidence. They were the proof, the confirmation of his apostleship. And then verses 3 and 4. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do not we have the right to eat and to drink? Right? As ministers of the gospel, they had a right to eat and to drink. And by this, what does he mean, to eat and to drink? He means to eat and drink by the church's provision for him. Right? We reread later in the chapter that he's referring, in the plural, he's referring to himself and to Barnabas. And he's saying that they had the right to receive material support for the work in the ministry, for their work, the work that they had done in the ministry. And then he goes on in 5 and 6, and he says that they also had a right to marry. And they had a right to take that wife with them as they traveled on these, to these churches on these missionary journeys, just like the other apostles did. And Paul and Barnabas, just like the other apostles, they were worthy. They had the right to be cared for in their work in the ministry. But they didn't exercise that right. Now Paul goes on to illustrate this right by giving examples of several kinds of work in verse 7. right? And he says, the worker of the vineyard, the shepherd, the soldier, they all dry their sustenance from their occupations. And Christian ministers, he's saying, are entitled to do the same. And then in verses 8 and 9, Paul proves his point by appealing to human experience and from citing the law itself. right? This is what we... Uh, read earlier in our Old Testament, he, uh, or I'm sorry, this isn't what we read, we read from Leviticus, we'll look at that in a minute, but here in verse uh, 8 and 9, Paul quotes from Deuteronomy, he quotes from the law and he says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Right? Those who labor, uh, uh, 
I apologize. Um, the rest of the quote is, is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Verse 10, does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crop. Now the law of God prohibited farmers, right? He's talking about here from muzzling their animals when they were working because they would starve, they would die. And so naturally an ox, when it was treading the grain, would satisfy its hunger by eating some of that grain. Now the general principle, again, from the law that Paul draws back and that he draws out is that the worker shares in the fruit of its work. Paul then applies this to his own ministry in verse 11. And he says in verse 11, If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Right? He's referring to material support for them and for their families. Of course it was not too much for them to ask. Those who labor to produce the harvest are entitled to a share in the harvest. And Paul, right? you have to remember, more than any other minister here, especially in Corinth, he was entitled to material support from them because he was the one who planted the church. But what does Paul do? What does Paul do, though he lays out his entitlement, his right to this support? He goes on to say that he relinquished this right to be supported by the church. And why did he do so? He says, for the sake of the gospel. Indeed, he was willing to endure all things for the sake of the gospel. He was willing to endure all things. What kinds of things is Paul referring to here? Well, we read about these in chapter 4. Again, he says in chapter 4, verse 11, To this present hour, we hunger and we thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. We revile. Uh, When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. This is what they're enduring. This is what Paul is enduring. These are the all kinds of things that he endured. That's the kind of treatment that he had to endure. He was treated like the refuse, like the garbage of the world. The fundamental motive for Paul's behavior was what? It was that whatever I do, I do for the sake of the gospel of Christ. So it's the gospel that determines his conduct. The gospel determines his conduct. It's not his liberties. It's not his rights. It's not what he is entitled to. It's not uh, the things that he's entitled to as a believer or even as an apostle. It's the gospel that determines his behavior. Then he goes on in verse 13 to make further uh, his point by pointing out um, to what we saw in our Old Testament reading from Leviticus. right, And that is that the worker of the temple gain their food from the temple. Those who work on the altar gain their food from the sacrifices on that altar. And then he gives this general rule that applies to preachers of the gospel in verse 14. He says, In the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So Paul makes the strong case in the strongest possible terms. And he says it's an absolutely undeniable reality that he was entitled 
to material support from the churches. But then he goes on in verse 15 and he says, But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Paul says, I would rather die than do that. He says he's forfeited his right to this support for the sake of the gospel. Why is that? It's because in that context, it would have compromised the message due to the sense of the supporters and their expectations or payback or prestige or that they were privileged or owed something as a result of this support, the supporting of these preachers. And that would have hindered the gospel, Paul says. We'll look more at this uh, next week. But for now, I want you to see this point. And the point is this. Just as Paul forfeited his rights to be paid so that the gospel uh, might have greater success, just as Paul did that, the saints at Corinth should relinquish their rights. They should forfeit their rights to eat these meat sacrificed to idols so that they would not cause their weaker brother uh, and sister in the Lord there to stumble into sin. This is to be the rule for their lives and the rule for our lives, brothers and sisters. And I confess along with many of you, I need to be more sensitive to this rule in my life and in my actions as well. And I've searched my own heart in preparation for this, with this issue. And I'll put the question to you as well. What is it, dear Christian, what is it that you are entitled to that is a right for you, that is properly yours or properly owed to you that you were not willing to give up for the sake of the gospel? What is it that you are not willing to give up for the sake of the gospel? What would you fill in that blank with? It would be different for each of you. But is there something that you would not be willing to relinquish for the sake of the gospel? Is there something you would not be willing to relinquish for your weaker brother or sister in Christ? When you identify that thing, when the Lord reveals those things to you, Bring those things before the Lord and you plead with him in prayer and you pray for perspective and for clarity and for correction. You pray that you would grasp what God is saying, what Paul is saying here, the Lord is saying through the apostle here. And it's not merely Paul we have to realize as we make this connection, as we move forward in our thinking. It's not merely Paul, right? And I hope some of you probably are caught on to where I'm going with this. We are to follow Paul Paul in this, absolutely. Because he comes and he instructs and he tells us these things with authority, with the authority of Jesus Christ himself. He is a sent one. He doesn't come with his own authority, but the authority of another. And just what did that another one, what did that other do? What did he model for Paul and for us? Well, we read it earlier in the service. We read it earlier in first. I'm sorry, in Philippians chapter two, where we read, "Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests." 
but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Relinquished his rights, correct? He relinquished his rights. The Lord gave up, he forfeited his deity by taking on humanity. He gave up what was his, rightfully his, for your sakes. And this is the principle in its ultimate form. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? You see this isn't just from Paul. He's expressing the reality of this, that Christ did indeed for him and for us. The point is not, we have to see as well, merely law, right? It's not merely a law. It's not merely that you need to give up your rights for the sake of the weaker brother, for the sake of the gospel. Because in and of yourselves, you cannot do that. You could pretend for a time to do that, but there's no real transformation. There's no genuine lasting sacrifice or real motivation. I do not want you to fall into the legalism that can come from these kinds of things. Because it is only as you embrace the gospel and embrace the reality that Jesus did this very thing, it is only then, dear Christian, that you can begin to let go of that white-knuckle grip that you have on that thing that you filled in the blank with, that you can let go of, of, of uh, uh, the grip that you have on your own rights and that we all hold on to stingily and that we are enabled by the Spirit to relinquish rejoicingly, right? to let things go rejoicingly for the sake of our brother, for the gospel, and for God's glory. And so you see, dear Christian, May we indeed, as the Spirit enables us to, may we draw near to our sweet Savior. And in doing so, may we more and more and more follow Him, indeed forfeiting our rights, trusting that He actually knows what He's doing and that He actually knows what He commands of us. And may we, brothers and sisters, for the sake of the gospel and for the love of our brothers and sisters and for the glory of God, may we see that it is only when we let go of the pittance of what we think that we have that we realize that in him we have everything. And so let us rejoice, dear Christian, and let us trust and embrace these truths evermore, not only for this life, but for the life to come.